Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Merlin. Oh, you brought it back. Uh, uh, for some reason, my headphones are a lot louder today. You sound louder. I sound... Well, I, I can't hear myself in my headphones, so I don't sound any different. Well, we should redo it. I don't know. No, no. It's. I like it. It's... Um, it's bold. It's bold as love. Hmm. Hmm. I can. Uh, I can modulate my voice a little. No, no, lower. no. Don't do. God, don't do that. Okay. You sound like Twiggy from the original Buck Rogers. Beady, beady, beady. <laughs> Speaking of penises, I just <laughs> uh, a minute ago. Yeah. Saw um, Jimi Hendrix's penis as what? a pl- as a plaster cast. No. Yeah. Do you are do you know Cynthia Plastercaster? Are you familiar with her work? I just visited her entirely uh, flash based site, and uh, and looked at it. It's uh, really, it's quite a thing. She, I have not uh, seen it myself, but my understanding is that uh, that uh, Jimmy's penis uh, uh, curves to the side or something, and it has a. Well, uh, flash technology notwithstanding, it was just a straight on like side shot. Oh, I see. It was. Um, I don't want to use this word incorrectly, but I think it, it might be regarded as a chode. A <laughs> chode. Isn't it? Isn't that? Isn't the, the technical term like a not a fire plug? Because it's it's considerable. Yeah. Uh, it's a long uh, long scale penis, but it's it's real big around. I don't know. I it might have been the plaster they could get at the time. Uh, my 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 uh, my impression is that a chode is uh, is shaped like a uh, like a safety cone. Oh, really? It tapers. That's that, but but you know, <laughs> I've used that word to refer to so many things in my in my short life. Yeah, that's maybe its original meaning is lost. That's a terrific word. Well, it it was the way that it was explained to me at a time when these words were achieving a lot of cultural cachet. Uh, and I'm just gonna tell you what I was told because there's there's a lot of these kinds of things you hear and it sticks in your head even though it doesn't make sense. I was told that it's uh, a penis that's bigger around than it is long. Oh right, okay. I see what you're saying. Which which sounds like a child's block, or something. I mean, you know, cylindrical, I guess. But yeah, like a like a like a wheel of cheese, like, like a, a Jap- cheese, like a Japanese cheese. man. <laughs> <laughs> Can you have a Japanese chode? That's a good word. There's a lot of words like that that I, I don't. I'm not sure that I'm using correctly. That's a great word, though. It sounds great. Yeah, although it's not a word. I mean, a chode is not a word that you would say use. When you were meeting your local candidate for lieutenant governor, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like you yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't like shake somebody's hand and then find a way to slip chode into the conversation. Do you think he'd be familiar with the term? It depends. Depends uh, on what, I, what state, probably. I, right. I, I bet. I bet he would. I bet he would. I think the I, problem is that somebody in the room would out you. I bet you could. I bet you'd get a lot of like Snickers in the room. Or either that, or or the guy that's standing right behind the lieutenant governor, whose job it is to like move him from conversation to conversation. Oh, uh, right. Would, his, his, uh, uh, his handler. His handler. His handler would lean forward and say, "That's not what chode means, sir." And then that, and then you wouldn't have a chance to correct yourself because the, <laughs> the lieutenant gubernatorial candidate would already be talking to three old ladies. <laughs> this press conference is over. <laughs> I could really benefit from having a handler. Oh my god! Oh, I. I I sink into my chair in frustrated exhaustion at the thought that I don't have a handler. Yeah. I've tried, uh, I've sought out handlers. It sounds like you have on some level sought out handlers, but I, I haven't found anybody who could handle me. Well, you know, the, the, uh, I, my feeling about you and, and some of my friends who have been 
successful enough to attempt to hire someone to help them mm-hmm. is that I have never heard of I've never heard a story about that 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 didn't sound scary where the per, the person did not get what what it what it took to handle you you know the 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 the, per, the person whomever of all my friends whomever they hire to handle them mm-hmm. they end up having to handle the person that they hired to handle them handling the handler you're handling the handler and the handler is not the handler is just passing that handling through back to you with all the good parts filtered out oh and, god yes and you're just like this isn't i'm handling now i'm handling myself Poor, more poorly, and I'm also having to handle this jerk. So. This is a a big top. This is a big series of topics. But yes, I totally agree. I have uh, I have attempted to find handlers professionally, um, you know, and uh, personally, and uh, it's just been very hard for what the reason you describe, which is first of all, you have to want to be handled, yeah. and you have to be open to the changes required to make a handler effective. And even if you've got all the money in the world, if you if you don't want to be handled, you're you're not going to have a good handler. And unless you're like a Roger Waters like Pink Floyd situation, well you know, like the titular Pink. Yeah. And you are you such a basket case, you know. The, or like don't you think Shane McGowan probably has a has a handler? Oh, uh, yeah, but Shane McGowan's handler has a fire hose. <laughs> And, uh, and like, <laughs> like a, a series of like very large tongs. Yeah, and a tiger whip. And he <laughs> wakes him up with the hose and then just whips him into the shower. Yeah, yesterday, I, I decided, I don't know why, and I honestly don't know why I haven't done this in the last four years. I started looking online at office space for myself hmm. away from my home. And I was going through all the different neighborhoods of the city and think you know imagining myself getting up in the morning and commuting over to this other neighborhood where i would go sit in a in a room with a window and the and the whole point of me being there would be that i would write and i was trying to trying to picture like okay do i want to be in a space where it's a kind of creative office space where there are other creative people like painters and um and you know, and dance choreographers, and uh, and and have a have a space in a place like that where I can come out and stand, kind of leaning in the doorway of my my office with a cup of coffee in my hand, waiting for somebody with clay oh, on their shirt to, to sort walk of like, past. Sort of like the school in Fame, where, where you would poke your head yeah. out the door and there'd be a lady stretching in yeah. a leotard, and, and there'd be someone in a beret painting. Yeah, the, and, produce, I, and I and I would say. What's a metaphor for, uh, or what's the word for when uh, a penis is uh, wider around than it is long? And then the, the lady stretching would look up and go, chode. And I'd go, chode, thank you. And then go back to writing. Do I want a space like that? Or do I want a space where I'm like up in a garret and uh, nobody, can, nobody can get to me? And I, and, uh, but, it, but like somewhere underneath me, there's a, there are people using saws mm. so there's that sound of like but kind of you know like out right. the window or do i want to actually go downtown where literal chodes are working in the insurance and mortgage industry and rent an office space in a in a chode building in the, <laughs> in the chode building where where i i walk you know where like in the morning i'm like crowding through the front door with guys who are who have like 
Sus- guys in overcoats that are holding folded up newspapers and rushing. Yeah, guys that have suspenders on under their suit jacket, but they call them braces. And, and, go- and like there's a lady at, at, at a desk and maybe security guard, and they say, good morning, Mr. Chode. Yeah, it's a security guard. Good morning, Mr. Chode. Good morning, Mr. Chode. And then I take the elevator up to the seventh <laughs> thank, floor. Thank you, Willis, and good morning to you. <laughs> <coughs> Shall we make our usual wager? One dollar. <laughs> Ninth floor, Mr. Roderick? <laughs> Mr. Valentine, set the price. Uh, and, and then go and, and like be, be like the secret guy working in one of those cubicles that is actually working that's actually writing articles about um uh or whatever it is and then that's the other <laughs> whatever question. it is that i do <laughs> whatever it is that i do whatever writing it is i think i'm i'm gonna do but so i was toying with all these ideas and i honestly couldn't decide there was a part of me that as anti-social as i am the part of me that the, the whole reason i'd be doing this is to be putting myself out into the actual world like i don't need it's not that i just need some physical distance from this room here full of uh, this room full of real dolls mm-hmm. that I have here in my upstairs. But I, I actually kind of need to be out in the world where I'm getting coffee and there are other people there. And, uh, this is a, this is a, I'm so glad you brought this up. This is a huge challenge. I've faced this in, many, many times with many different things. And you're, 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 it sounds like you're on the horns of a dilemma because mm. just by Ouch. the very, yeah, you don't want to be on, get off those horns, <laughs> leave it. You've got, on the one hand, you're, uh, I'm going to get to a bigger point here, but I think what you're saying in some ways is, do I want, obviously what you're looking for here is a second place. Second you, place. You need a place that's not the room with the red leather chair. It doesn't mean that you can't bring the chair with you, although I, I would just personally, I would just have it removed permanently. <laughs> but, but you know, on, on the one hand, you, you realize you need a change. You need someplace else to get your work done, the, the work that you do. Mm-hmm. And so the question becomes, and think about those different things that you're describing. On the one hand, you're saying, do I want to be surrounded with these creative people that are, that are probably a little fruity? Mm-hmm. And that will drive my creativity. Uh, do I want to go somewhere that is more in keeping with my theoretically blue-collar background? Somewhere I'd, I'd, where you would be around people throwing fish or doing magic tricks or standing very still and looking like a statue. I, I imagine I imagine that scene in uh, the Billy Joel music video, Allentown, where mm. there are guys uh, moving big wrenches. And then you pan up and there's like a there's a office manager up above on a railing. He's wearing a tie and his pants are pulled up kind of pretty high mm-hmm. i would have the office next to that guy okay but you would be but again now in the one in the, in the first scenario you would be surrounded by the sort of uh, creative people who probably aren't let's be honest probably aren't making very much but right? flash you, dance people mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's not a real welder and and, uh, and then on the other hand you're saying do i do i want to be somewhere where i'm really doing capital w work because i'm surrounded by people who are going to think I'm, I'm a fruit if i'm not you know writing writing uh responses to people from aerosmith right and and then on the other hand you're saying do i do i want to be somewhere where i can i can do my work in peace maybe something somewhere with a clawfoot bathtub but mm. you know oh. yeah no oh. see i don't know if that's oh. part of the problem or oh. part of the solution holy moly you just uh, added a whole new wrinkle all right well, because here, here's the thing. The big point is, what is it that you're running away from or running toward? What is the barrier you're trying? This is what I do for a living. Is, yeah, is, which of these barriers do you want to get rid of? Because you might just need a bathroom somewhere. If you're not going to record, I mean, you get a nice kind of, you know, natural reverb in a room like that. But you might just want to have a, ba- a big bathroom in someone's house. Or not so, in their house. Like in their, maybe in their, you could house sit for somebody's, you could bathroom sit for somebody. So I'm wondering, though, <clears throat> how I would put that into Craigslist, like wanted. Yes. I want to rent your bathroom mm-hmm. 
all day. <laughs> wanted. I want to rent your bathroom. <laughs> wanted all day. Uh, I want to rent your bathroom, large bathroom, mm-hmm. all day. Wanted Cloth, large clawfoot, bathroom. clawfoot bathtub. Clawfoot bathtub. Uh, you don't. Uh, you you need to be cool with uh, strange sounds coming from the bathroom all day. <laughs> And they can't use it, right? That's part of it. Is it's your space. You're in there. Yeah, you're right. in there at the at the crack of noon, and right. and you need that space for however long it takes to finish your work. Well, the thing is, it would be helpful <laughs> if that bathroom also had a little kitchenette in it. Oh, you should do what I do. You know, I just sent you that link to the coffee uh, dingus that I use here at my office. My 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 office is kind of like a dorm, and I, I'm not by any means saying that you should do anything like the literal personal holocaust that is my office, but. I've got a uh, little hot water maker here, a really nice little, hot, you know, makes hot water very quickly. Yeah. I got my soda stream machine. I've got a microwave from Target, and I've got a, a pretty good sized dorm fridge, no freezer. And that's pretty much everything I need to do basic stuff. I think at the point when I bring in a hot plate, I need to hang it up. But right. that's what you need. You need space for that. You need, you need a, uh, a master bath, maybe. So my ideal situation is a master bathroom with a kitchenette. <laughs> Situated over a, a Philly cheesesteak sandwich company mm. in an industrial area right. that's very, that has been kind of colonized by artists. But maybe it's still a little transitional, right? You've well, got, it's a little transitional. You've got, you've got shirtless men with wrenches and uh, ladies stretching. Yeah. So there are ladies stretching over here. There are guys uh, like stripping and repainting furniture over here. Mm-hmm. And then across the street, there so is the furniture they're stripping. Is that correct? They are stripping. Okay. <laughs> well, she's she is stretching. Okay. She and that you know, just because a woman stretches doesn't mean that she's going to dance on a pole. No. And then they are stripping furniture. Okay. They are not personally stripping. And and, and then you, there's a coffee shop across the street where where well, the, obviously you've got to have the tools at hand to do the kind of work that you do. You have to have a place to put your tools. You have to have a workspace, and you have to be surrounded by things that inspire you. Yeah, maybe well, a here, window. Would you like a window? Do you? Think? I would like a window. I need a window. Mm-hmm. I need light because I. Because you can vitamin. really you can put a hurting on a bathroom. You're going to want a window. Well, but but the but the problem is, and I think we hit on this earlier. I don't know what I do. Yeah. I am. I, I said this to somebody the other day. The, your the solution is not your your situation is not such that you need to quit your present job in order to pursue your fantasy job because you don't even know what your fantasy job is. You need to start doing your fantasy job until you're having so much fun and success at it that you're that you have to quit your real job mm-hmm. because your fantasy job has taken over. Well, I, and now I'm going to do two podcasts instead of three because you've pretty much summed it up. <laughs> but my problem is I'm trying to get myself out of the house to get myself into a mm-hmm. workspace so that I can begin <laughs> to work for the first time in many years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I honestly, uh, part of me both thrills and also despairs at the prospect of sitting down at a desk in a new space that I'm now paying money for and staring out my this window that i that we have just we've agreed i need Mm -hmm. and saying now what now what do i do now i have to now i turn the computer on there's a certain amount of pressure on you at that point because you have to figure out what your work is you are paying money that's good that might drive you in some ways but you might even need a transitional pre-space 
to go to figure out what it is that you do. And that could be uh, something uh-huh. where you could have a home. Maybe you could do something in your barn. You could have a transitional space where you go and you set up a fridge and maybe have some ladies come out and stretch. But you could have an area where you, you know what I'm saying? Before you walk across Europe, you might want to buy a map. Yeah, but that's the thing. When I walked across Europe, I did not buy a map first. That's true. I'm going to write that down. Okay. And, uh, and <clears throat> that no, was part the of the walk turned out. Okay. I mean, bag notwithstanding that turned out pretty okay. Yeah. It was the bag and the boots. Both were wrong. Mm. I should have thought more. I should have thought, thought long and hard about both. of those you, things. you do it differently now. I mean, if, if you were the, the John of today, you, you could talk to the John of then and give him some tips on, uh, material. I would say, I would say change the bag, change the boots. You know, I got off the airplane in London and I walked over to the, the, lo- the little news agent there at Heathrow, and I started looking through his rack of roadmaps, uh, trying to figure out what route I was going to spend the next six month six months walking, <laughs> and and basically picked the roadmap that was cheapest, <laughs> and and, uh, and you know walked out walked out out of his news news agent shop, walked out the the pneumatic doors in across the parking lot and then continued to walk in the same direction for six months and, uh, and, and, and bought maps along the way that by that same method, just like I would, re- I would arrive at the end of one of the map I was, I was on and I would walk until I found a new map. <laughs> you just walk until you run out of map. I'd, I'd walk until I ran out of map and then I'd, I'd, I'd walk into the nearest place that sold maps and, and buy, <laughs> buy, buy the cheapest map and keep going. <laughs> Um, and that part of it, I honestly, if I had to do over again, I wouldn't tell my, I wouldn't tell my young self to do it any any differently because I, I don't, I don't know how else it would go. So obviously, though, when you're thrust into a situation, I, you, you know, you're the, the same person. Obviously, you've you changed, grown, matured. You've learned more about your work since then. But, but you know, you sound like the kind of person who, when, and I've seen this. When you yelled at me to call 911 about that guy's busted-ass sports car, you're yeah. someone who – and we're not going to talk about that. But when you get thrust <laughs> – it's what it's for. When you, when you get thrust when – thr- when you are thrust into a situation, you thrive. You oh. really are. You're like, that, you're like that Marine who has all of those skills. You're like that CIA operative who has those, those skills just waiting all the time. And it's when, you, it's when you're not in the shit that your mind starts really going. Well, I have a, what, part of what inspired this is I have a friend who works in a corporate office, and she is um, <clears throat> she is now in a position where she uh, is her boss has just quit, and her boss. Is this her your baby boss, mama? This is a, this is a lady I know, <laughs> and uh, and her boss has just quit, and her boss was one of these like guys who had worked there for fifteen years and had had weaselled his way into a vice presidency at this company. But but really, he was just a frat boy, and and I think they gave him the vice presidency kind of out of a feeling of obligation after he'd been there so long. Um, so he quit and, and and went to work somewhere else at a at a at a pet grooming place, and now there is a vacancy in the corporate structure of this company. There is no vice president of marketing, mm, mm. and my uh, my friend is i think ideally positioned within the company to assume this job and it isn't maybe that she will be uh promoted to the vice president of marketing but she certainly can be the director of marketing there's a there's a power vacuum 
there's a power vacuum. And <clears throat> although she is an incredibly talented, she does not think of herself as someone who is ambitious in a, in a corporate way. You know, she doesn't, when she wakes up in the morning, she doesn't have, she doesn't start sharpening her fingernails to go gash the necks of her competitors. You know, that's not how, how she imagines herself. Although I think she has the competitive skills to, to succeed in that world. She just needs to unleash it. But in sitting and talking to her about her, her work situation, her job situation, I get very excited because I don't have, I do not have the opportunity to um, exercise those, uh, those traits that would succeed in a corporate life. And I, and I have them, you know, mm-hmm. I would, I would love to be in a boardroom situation oh, where God. other guys were competing to have their plans implemented. And I was using all that I know about Machiavelli and, uh, the art of war and all this shit that I read over the years and, and you know, and thought about, not with any I, <clears throat> any intention of ever becoming a corporate person, mm-hmm. but just because I wanted to understand how they thought, and I and I like to uh, read other people's books. You know, I like to read books that are that are part of the canon of like special areas, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, you're not going to be interested in this book. This is a book for hydro hydrologic engineers, and I'm like, that's actually the kind of book I'm very interested in. Mm-hmm. What are you guys saying to each other that you don't want other people to know? Anyway, so I'm sitting and talking to her about her her corporate life, and I'm I'm getting all you know I'm getting all excited. I'm like, listen, here I, I felt like I felt like that scene in The Godfather where I was like, listen, the person that the person that's that invites you to that meeting, oh right, that's the one that wants your head. Mm-hmm. You know, the the what you need to be on the lookout for is the person that agrees with you and then doesn't come to the first meeting that you schedule oh. because they were too busy. That's the person who's going to be trying to thwart your progress. Tatalia is a pimp. He should have known that it was Barzini all along. It was Barzini all along. And 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 did she take that counsel and 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 understand what what that could mean for her? I mean, she <laughs> oh, may not absolutely. have the sharp the sharp uh, claws yet, but boy, just even knowing that. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it I think it excites her. You know, the, I think the challenge of a lot of people our age is that we taught ourselves that, or we said to ourselves over and over as a as a culture, Generation X did this, said to ourselves, "Oh, the real things in life that matter to us are our friends and our and music and these things." You know, we we convinced ourselves that our jobs were just these dumb things that we did that didn't matter because we. Because we were the ones that really enjoyed life, and uh, we're, we're not going to be duped by that system that tells yeah, us to leave these yeah. things behind and become this this kind of person. That, yeah, uh, I just have to go to my know. job eight hours a day, but I really, what, what I really come alive when it's Miller time, and then, and then when we become forty year olds and we realize, wait a minute, I'm st- I, whether or not I was duped, I'm still spending forty hours a week in this place, and if I don't take the job that I'm doing seriously, and if I don't understand the actual culture, not the not the fantasy culture of of work, but the actual culture of work, then I'm then I'm I'm going to top out, and then I'm going to be the then I'm going to be the 50 year old or 60 year old that's doing a job that 26 year olds are doing better, Ugh. and you know, and I didn't I didn't plan for this, you know, I didn't. And suddenly, you wake up and you're living up to your potential. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. And so, so I could see the light in her eyes. Like, yeah, actually, I'm going to go in and I'm going to start 
I'm going to start making a list of my enemies and I'm going to start keeping a bucket where I put the hearts of my foes when they come into my office and try and fuck with me. Every executive lady needs a foe bucket. You know what? You just have a bucket next to your desk, and every once in a while, your <laughs> foe comes in and tries to tries to thwart you, and you just rip their heart out and stick it in the bucket. And, and the thing is, if you, to be a really, it seems I've never finished the book, but it seems to me that uh, if you're going to be the prince, uh, you have to not. And again, with the art of war, right? And the art of war summarized is don't do what you think they're what they think you're going to do yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, that's that's a Wall Street level summary of it. But yeah. uh, in all of these, though, the part of the, the beauty part of, of somebody who is a, a smart, intelligent lady who's obviously not got sharp nails mm-hmm. is that that is the perfect person to to get into the power vacuum. Exactly. And people they will not never know it's coming. Yeah. Would you then, Would you have expected a no, spoiler alert? A Vagoda, last person I would have considered. A Vagoda. A Vagoda seemed like it, in a million. He years. was always the smart one. Yeah. It was always the smart one. For all time's sake. Well, the thing is, I, and, and, and I think the instinct that a lot of people have in that situation is there's a power vacuum. I should go to, the, I should go to my higher-ups and ask them if it's cool if I fill in this power vacuum. Oh. And, you know, uh, and what I said to my friend is, listen, if you do something like that, then that's not your power that you will be, you, you will not be using your power or or uh, or growing your power you will be using their power and you're just a proxy that's like getting somebody to sign a form that you climbed a mountain yeah you need to walk into that power vacuum and and, and fill it mm-hmm. and when some and by the time the higher ups notice you're already doing the job and then they're like oh well we could do a you know we could go search for somebody to fill this role or we could just well, this is a big part of being a weasel, and and uh, I think the Machiavellian thing. You, this is it's a lot about how to become a weasel. And a good part about being a weasel, I've learned as wow. a weasel, is to make things seem like someone else's idea. Mm. And this has been this is uh, when I've been effective, which is pretty much never. It's this has worked great because what you have to do is you do have a kind of a silky, almost greasy pelt. Thank you, John. I enjoy visiting with you. <laughs> I value our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing. Now, when she goes in there, first of all, she's she could be a sleeper cell. Nobody's ever suspected that she would come in and want the uh, want the uh, pet grooming guys off. Yeah, she's the she, that's right. She's the nice girl. She did not she did not seem like the one that was going to start kicking doors down. Exactly. Now, if you want to fill a power vacuum, you have to do things or cause things to happen that make you seem like not only the right person. To, to, to stick into that Dyson, but you've got to appear like the only person in the whole world who could do I, that thing. And then you got to make those uh, chodes at the top think, think uh, that it was their idea in the first place. Right. And <clears throat> mind, bullets, the, mind bullets help. I think the big, the big challenge in a situation like that is the chodes that are at your level that can't do that job, but also don't want you to succeed at it. And mm-hmm. so they just become petulant about about taking orders from you or about right. taking even suggestions. Especially, especially if you're a lady. And those are the ones that, you know, I, uh, that I was advising her that she needs to, she needs to start scheduling these meetings that are above her pay grade that are her meetings. And then she needs to go around and make a coalition throughout the office, like stop at every one of these guys' desks and say, Hey, I'm really looking forward to this meeting on Monday. And I really hope that, uh, that you'll, you, that you'll be there because I, I think your uh, your ideas in this are you know are invaluable, and we really need to hear from you before we move forward because you're the you're kind of the gatekeeper for this segment or whatever. 
and just do that thing. Just sit and like you're just stroking them with one hand, mm-hmm. and they and they and they feel the pressure of your knife point on under their ribs, but they're not exactly sure whether it's a knife or a or you're just trying to give them a strong hug. Mm. And they and they just think to themselves like. You give them the out where they're like, yeah, I, I got to go to that meeting because uh, if I don't, then they're not going to, then I'm, blah, 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 blah. you give them that, but at the same time, they feel a little bit, they, they feel a little in danger. Like, I, I, I'd better go to that meeting. John, I, 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 if I could say, I, this is the most excited I've heard you about sound about anything in like the last 10 years. <laughs> This is this. Well, this sounds like this could be. I I don't want to. Yeah, this could be your duck. It seems to me problem, that you didn't know this was your duck, and it seems to me. Yeah, I, I, there's something I, I here. I think I would be. I think I would be. And this is this is a this is a, a, a silly ass thing on the surface of it, but I think I would be a great corporate uh, boardroom person, um, because I see the because ultimately a, a, a company operates according to a. A dynamic, a business dynamic, but it's a human dynamic, and I see through those things. You know, I have, I have uh, X-ray vision about mm-hmm. interpersonal stuff like that. So, and and also, you're, I'm also a, you're an, you're an outsider. All those guys are mired in that particular uh, kind of malignant culture. You come in from the outside, and not only you're not going to take any of that bullshit, you're not even going to acknowledge the bullshit is there. You just drive right past it. Well, and I like to fertilize a garden and watch it grow. Mm-hmm. I also don't mind uh, wallowing in a bucket of blood. <laughs> and somewhere between fertilizing a garden and watching it grow and, you know, sitting in a bathtub gnawing on the, the shin bones of my enemies, that's, a, that is a, that's basically a CEO. That's what a CEO does. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what I keep waiting for is a tech startup that is being run by a bunch of college monkeys who don't know how to talk to each other and have never looked another human in the eye, except while they were searching their mother's face that she would put her boob in their mouth. (laughs) And these guys, for whatever reason, they get in contact with me or they get put in contact with me like, hey, we need somebody to go talk to other people for us because we're here busy making this 3D digital printer uh, that specializes in in reproducing Cynthia Plastercaster's Jimi Hendrix penis, which, which let's be honest, they're practitioners. Their core right. competency might might be penis penis plaster. Right. But but let's look at it this way: you're you're uh, one of those college monkeys, and you've somehow fallen ass backwards into a bunch of venture capital money. Well, those guys, those venture capital guys, want to see their 10x, right? Yes, they do. It's a gamble. I'm thinking maybe you aren't contacted by the monkeys; you're contacted by the zoo master. Oh, I think the VC hello. guys pick up a red phone. It rings in your bathtub. You pick it up, and they say, John, we need you. You say, I know. I've already right. known. Right, right, right. They we fly need you, you to go in, in there. On, they fly yeah. you in on a private corporate jet. They bring it literally out by your house right next to the airport. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. step inside. They say, would you, uh, would you like a pina colada? You say, no, thanks. Mm-hmm. And then you, uh, you land somewhere, and you walk in. And let's be honest, you're going to be dressed really differently from them. You're going to look very different from them. And right. they're going to know that things are changing. And maybe, right. maybe, maybe it seems a little like uh, you're their pal at first. Yeah, but, but you're, you're empowered. But you, don't, also, you don't need to be empowered. You're, you don't need you don't need a contract. You don't you don't need a uh, a mission statement. You walk well, no, in because start- I have a scimitar. <laughs> I, have, I have a scimitar tucked into my exceptionally wide leather belt that is part of my part of my corporate. Contract. Are you wearing a robe? <laughs> I, uh, maybe I'm not going to give away all my secrets. It depends on the dress code. <laughs> but you know they're like this guy seems like a friend. This guy seems like our dad. But he has a scimitar. 
He seems and, like and, a he seems like a real straight shooter. <laughs> and then he opens his briefcase, and there's a blunderbuss. In there. <laughs> Can you imagine the eyes? <laughs> Around the table, they have uh, what we in the business call an all hands meeting. They bring everybody into the big room, and they got craft services there. They got fucking artisanal coffee, and yeah. you get a man, a middle aged man in a bathrobe, walks in with a large leather belt with a scimitar and a surprisingly costly briefcase that rattles when he walks. He, he's, <laughs> he's missing a front tooth. <laughs> Let, allow me to introduce you to John. <laughs> John's going to be running the company from here on out. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> you, but, go. <laughs> but this is the thing. I mean, you, you got your, you got your uh, Forrest Gumps, you got your Bigs, you got other Tom Hanks movies, you got, uh, you know, the being there thing, where you've got this person who's wandering around, and uh, everybody's guessing all of these things about what they're doing, right? That you're guessing that, uh, you know, uh, Big, right? You're guessing that Tom Hanks, uh, who's a child inside of a grown-up body, is, is trying to undermine everybody. Right. They're guessing, right? You know what I mean? They're guessing that, that, uh, Chance the Gardener is, is, you know, wants to be president when all he wants to do is watch TV. I think it's the same thing here, exactly, except in reverse, which is you come in, you look a little bit <laughs> like you, like you had a rough patch. <laughs> and they don't know if that scimitar is real, but they're right. sure as fuck gonna find out. Right. And then it turns out. They might underestimate you, John. I actually have a head for business that. <laughs> That no one could have foreseen. John, I I think your work is is presenting itself. I mean, you can still you can still dick around and, and make things on Twitter and, and do. I hope you'll still consider doing the show after you've got that office, or or maybe after you're at the top of the Chode building, you mm. might be the head Chode. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, I'm gonna uh, first thing I'm gonna do is move the company out of the Chode building. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have a list? It'd be great if you had a, had a kind of after you've done this a couple times. Yeah. You know, you get a couple under your belt. You can come in with a list that you've written, like maybe on a subway wrapper. <laughs> you come in and you've got John's not eleven, fourteen. How many points yeah. would be in yeah, your plan? I think fourteen points. That's 14, appropriate. John's fourteen point plan. <laughs> <laughs> the scimitar agenda. And you come in, you spread it out. You, you kind of with your finger, you flick off a little bit of green pepper, yeah. and you show them how it's going to go. Yeah, listen, first thing, we're out of the chode building. We're spending too much money here and we're surrounded by chodes. <laughs> so you pull in operations. You tell them some, we got to move, we got to move some of these deck chairs around. Things are, things are going to change. Now, when you come in in that situation, I think obviously if you're introduced, here's the thing is, uh, when I was a project manager and, uh, yes, you know, I'm a pussy. You have something called a uh, project mandate, which is when somebody powerful signs off on a project and says, you see this homemade pussy over here? This guy is allowed to speak for me. Oh yeah, right. This is the power I'm talking about. It's the it's well. The proxy I mean, it has it has its uses, but it's not oh, the sure. piece of paper that makes it useful. It's the it's the powerful person who not just is in a position to fire you, but could potentially ruin you. When right. that person it's, they've only seen pictures of in the in the lobby of the building comes in and says, "This is fucking John. Sit down like a gentleman and listen." It's the threat of the scimitar coming down on their. Uh, exposed knuckles because he saw you walk in with that and he was fine with it like you're not you're not you're not allowed to eat a burrito at your desk but a man literally in a bathroom with a scimitar came in introduced you he didn't even say your last name yeah all you need to know is this is john shut the fuck up <laughs> now when you come in are you going to be so a lot of people when you have these cultural uh you know i, I have you know as you know i have some friends that work uh they make in techs and tech and makes right and and sometimes as their company grows this happens what you're describing yeah. here happens yeah. oh, and, I love, and, I love and it. This is just as an outsider. 
I see this catastrophic thing happen where they go, oh, the culture's all fucked up. Let's bring in some fucktard from somewhere else, and they'll fix the culture. Right. You know what I mean? Which yeah. is, you know, I guess it's some sense of fighting fire with fire, but it never works. You, yeah. you, you, need, a, you need somebody who's an agent of change and isn't just going to come in there and hand out copies of the Starbucks book. You, you want some, and that literally happened. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, believe me, I, I know. And I've read enough of those things where I just go, uh, uh, you're doing it wrong. Well, those are the shitty ones. The middling, the middling ones at least pretend to listen for a week. Right. But the really great ones, I think on day one, you know the things, it's like fucking George Patton walking in. You, he's not going to sit around and go, well, I'm just here to listen. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, well, so do you go in, do you go in under the radar or, <laughs> or do you walk in with the CEO that they've never met? It could, you know what? Actually, you could bring in someone who looks like the CEO. I think it would be equally effective. But if you, when, when you get <laughs> into that in room, actor. <laughs> <laughs> bring in an actor, and I've got a scimitar just in the center of his Isn't back. That guy like... from Saved by the Bell, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> no, you know that uh, the, the 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 obvious thing about business is that I mean, all these people started a business and and got it to got it to the point where their incompetence now is the is the only thing in their, their way. Their incompetence is the only blood that runs through those veins anymore. <laughs> they have no fucking idea how they make money anymore. Or, or yeah. they, you know what? Maybe they, that's the problem with these monkeys. They've probably never made money. They've gotten checks from their mom, and now they got checks from somebody on Sand Hill Road, and they've yeah. never had somebody come in, say, get that titty out of your mouth, sit down, and make a fucking 3D printer. You right. know what I mean? And so they're, 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 they're dicking around, they're riding on slides, they're throwing balls around, they're eating craft services. But you know, I've been dealing with those people I've, in, in, an, in another form for 25 years, which is... The, people that is rock. That is rock and roll. Yeah. I mean, I've been dealing with people that can't look another human being in the oh eye. God. John, you're ready on day one. My whole life. And, yeah. uh, and dealing with people where it's just like, okay, there's seven people in the room with seven different agendas, and no one... And, and and everybody is acting like we all agree, and the and the the second there's a power vacuum, this is gonna it's gonna turn into um, Lord of the Flies, and really there's only one person in the room that matters. There's only one person in the room that that anybody should be paying any attention to, and that's the guy with the idea, the scimitar. The, well, no, not the uh, in, in those situations. It's not the guy with the scimitar. It's there's usually a guy that has the song. Okay. You know, there's the guy that had the idea. Oh, like you said in the studio, this is this is the guy. This is the guy who says, "Okay, why don't you take another hour to get your solo where you want it to be, and then we're done with that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, you know, and, and 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 the fact that the drummer is the loudest guy in the room, or the drummer is the guy with all the opinions. You know, somebody needs to take the drummer for a walk. Somebody <laughs> needs somebody needs somebody needs to say, "Hey, you know what? I'm thinking about having my car detailed. Do you want to come out and take a look at you ever it?" Heard of a, you ever heard of a faux bag? <laughs> <laughs> do you want to see you know, let me show you my office let me show you my office it's, it's a nice place right <laughs> and suddenly the problems resolve themselves yeah. hey look look what i have in my briefcase oh I'm- it's a blunder <laughs> Oh. And you know what? A lot of people in modern forensics, you know, they're used to dealing with all of the all the various kinds of munitions that you see on the street today. Right, well, splatter patterns. If you had a sawed-off blunderbuss, they wouldn't know. You know, the thing is, you can make a blunderbuss with the, with the with the, and stuff you buy at a plumbing. This is exactly store. the kind of thing that people need to learn. I did yeah. not. I did not know that. But think about this. You think about back in school. You're in a public school, and you get you walk into class, and there's a sub, 
And, yeah. and like, there's usually two kinds of substitute teachers. Just as soon as you said that, I got excited. It was like, oh, substitute today. <laughs> oh, forget Woo! about it. Forget Look about it. You, you come in there, and it's, in my experience, some of the time, it will be someone extremely old who mostly reads a, a magazine. <laughs> or a really young, like a young teacher yes. that's like... That is super dumb and 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 wants to stick to the lesson plan. She's got the lesson plan. She's read some books. But, uh, then, but then think about the time that you walked in mm-hmm. and the substitute teacher was a 40-year-old guy, <laughs> a crew cut, and a mustache. <laughs> I was thinking of, I've been in so many situations where, you know, I, I'm whatever the opposite of a handful is. I was always happy to, to not cause trouble by and large, at least for the first, you know, 10 years. But, uh, you know, the thing is the class gets a little out of control. You know, that lady, that lady with the handbook and the, she's been watching some, uh, some, some Betamax tapes about how to become a teacher. And she comes in there and it's immediately Lord of the Flies. Everything's totally out of control. But you know what happens? It gets so bad. She picks up the black phone and in walks Frank Kufel. Oh, in Kufel. walks the principal, the vice principal, the dean of boys. In walks somebody who is a known hard ass, maybe somebody who puts weights on a tennis racket and swings it in a cafeteria. You know what I'm saying, though? And suddenly. Oh, do I? The- <laughs> because the first thing that that guy does when he walks in is he grabs me and says, Come on, we're going down to the office. And then <laughs> let's the, go for a walk. Over. Yeah, let's go for a walk. Let me show you what's in my briefcase. Well, you know, if you cut off the head, you know what I'm saying? But I'm, all I'm saying is like, you know what? If you didn't even need the principal in that instance, if you walked in and there was a man with a scimitar <laughs> standing there and he's already, he's already, yeah. I don't know, are you mad? Are you disappointed? Or are you just, what? when you're the substitute teacher, all I was going to say was that the principal comes in and suddenly everybody stands erect because yeah. they know that this is not someone to trifle with. This is not a substitute principal. Yeah, yeah. This is the well, guy here, who holds your heart in thing. his hand. In, in every classroom, when you walk in the door, and I, and I know this from many years of going to school, you walk in the door of a classroom on the first day of school and you scan those, those chairs and you think, which chair is mine? And there are a lot of kids that grab that first row of chairs because they they're, they're do-gooders and they want to sit up front. And then there, are the, then there are the guys with the mullets and the baseball hats on backwards that are, that are grabbing that last row of chairs mm-hmm. because they're the guys that are in the back. Then there are all the people that just fill in, just take a chair, doesn't matter. Even though this is a decision, you're going to be sitting in this chair for the whole school year. People just walk in and grab a chair, whatever. Don't even think about it. But I was always looking for the power desk. (laughs) And the power desk is toward the back. But not all the way in the back. And it is basically, it's close to the windows. Mm-hmm. And it is in a position, you're in a position where you can control the temperature of the classroom. It is basically the opposite pole from the teacher's desk. You need to find the desk in the classroom that is the opposite pole of the teacher's desk. And it doesn't mean it's on the exact opposite side of the room because it could be on the teacher's side of the it's room. Gonna, it's going to vary heavily by classroom and, and it, by, right. by setup. It is the power pole. Hmm. That I would try and find because because my goal in every classroom was to be the opposite pole of the teacher, to be the ne- the negative terminal <laughs> to their positive terminal. You're like the Sith student, and I would I would find that desk and I would sit there. And the first few days of school, I would it would just I would just be so quiet and calm because I wanted everyone in the class to just get into a groove. <laughs> they were, they, 
start to develop relationships with the teacher. I was just so patient because I knew that my time would come. And when it did, then no one, no one ever sees it, you know, and a lot of, a lot of kids that, that came up in school with me knew wherever I sat, like there would be people that, that immediately chose the seats kind of in that vicinity because they wanted to be part of the fun and just and kids that sat as far away as they could because they didn't want to, they didn't even want to get in reflected trouble. <laughs> they didn't want any in uh, Shamu's splash zone. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't even want, they didn't want any, they didn't want the, the, uh, the smashinator or whatever the hell that Gallagher hammer is. They didn't, they didn't want any water mount on them. <laughs> and as a substitute teacher, if, if I were to be a substitute teacher in a high school, I would walk into that class and I would scan that room as the students were sitting down and I was looking, you know, and they were still kind of making noise and talking to each other and looking at me with sidelong glances. I would be sitting up at the blackboard trying to identify that opposite pole because you can see it take shape in a classroom of kids as they, as they come in and sit down, you can see where that power pole is by who the kids are and and how they how they seat themselves and how they you know how how they look at you how they look at each other and i would i'd try and zoom in on where that power pole was cuz that's the that's the only chair that matters in a classroom that you are that you are trying to teach for one day you know what i mean like if you are you, are you in some ways looking for the younger and less experienced version of yourself well but 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 you've that, been you've but, been in that pole you know you know what that seat is you've been in that seat yeah, but uh, but but the but the opposite the teacher's opposite in every classroom kind of differs. It's not always the comedian or the the uh, shit disturber. It's you know there there are there there can be a lot of variations on this. There's the there can be the disgruntled girl that's never that it, nothing's ever right. You know that can be your opposite. It just depends on it. Just depends, like, and you can feel it, and it's a, it's really it is a, it's a it's a matter of feeling a room. And if you walk into a boardroom, if you walk into any kind of room where there are twenty five people, that where the twenty five people know each other and you are new, mm-hmm. you look for that pole. You look for the the center of gravity that exists in the room, and that's. You know that, and that's the per, that's kind of the uh, axis that you have to focus on. You can't just start talking to the front row because if you're giving your you, you start giving your presentation, you're like, "Hey, everybody, how's it going? Love to see all your bright and smiling faces." And you're talking to the front row, you're going to hear a sound from the back of the room that you don't like. There's going to be a like a, and then you're then you've lost it. The room mm-hmm. is you know it's 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 over. Uh, so anyway, that as a substitute teacher, as a guy walking into a corporate boardroom mm-hmm. as i do every time i walk into a room where it's unfamiliar you know i'm scanning people as they walk in and watching you know who's the who is my who's my opposite pole here who's the one who thinks the room belongs to them and and <clears throat> you're way ahead of me because i mean it seems to me that those skills that you've accrued from being such a problem make you uniquely capable at going into a situation like that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it, it just seems to me that given that you are empowered by that guy from Save, from the, Save by the Bell, you could potentially come in and cut off someone's left hand. If you find the pole, if you come into the corporate boardroom and you find one guy who, who looks like he's a little bit full of beans, yeah, maybe just a finger, maybe you take off a pinky. I mean, you just know, it's take, like Al Capone with the baseball bat, right? 
just walk over and go, hey, great to see you. I, I, I couldn't help but notice that you, you made a fart sound a second ago. And whack! Oh! That's one finger. You've got nine left. Mm. Right? Mm. Well, I mean, that time. You could always it, take more than that off. It's, business it's is going to get done. Well, you I know, think you there's not enough capriciousness in leadership. There should be, I mean, the whole idea of decimation, I think a lot of people don't understand what that word means. And, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, as ever, but my understanding of decimation was the Romans would come in and say, okay, you know, who, who, tried, who tried to put feces in the soldier's well? And everybody would say, not me. And so they'd, they'd kill one out of every ten people and say, let me ask you that question again. That's, my understanding of decimation was we make an example out of one of you and then one-tenth of you, and then we just keep winnowing that down until somebody's uh, willing to tell us what we want to know. Yeah, there's always you can always take one tenth away, and you get ever closer to zero. One tenth is not that much. Get, get there. Uh, no, although if you're talking about an army of of a hundred thousand men, it's uh, there's a lot of blood in the river. Yeah, well, it's, nobody said it wasn't going to be time consuming. I mean, Rome wasn't uh, anyway. You know, everybody is so scared about getting sued now. People are scared about getting sued. So hire hire an actor who's a lawyer. That's right. <laughs> hire an actor. Let them sue him. People are afraid of getting sued who are never in their lives ever, ever, ever going to get sued. You know, like I, I, I was backing into a parking spot not very long ago in front of a, of a hair salon, a hair and nail salon. And it was a tight parking spot. And as I was backing into the parking spot, the, uh, I, I did not make it all the way in. And this is embarrassing for me to say. It was an it was an awkward spot, awkwardly situated. It was not a it was not a parking it was not a parking concept problem. But I had to I had to pull out and, and start again. And in the course of doing this, the people in the salon, both the customers and the salon people, the worker people, the salonistas, they took an interest in this and got up out of their chairs and all came out onto the sidewalk because the car in the back belonged to one of the people at the salon. Mm. And as I'm backing into this spot a second time, one of the, uh, one of the people says, if you hit my car, I'm going to sue you. And this is, I mean, I'm talking about like a, it, if I had touched it, it would have been like a little, little bump. I mean, a little, little bumper bump. And it was a, it was a fascinating study in, for me, in the way that people think the world works, you know? And uh, after I got out of the car and they were kind of still standing there on the sidewalk walk, watching now my car be parked, I said, <clears throat> I would like you to call the police now. So that we can begin this lawsuit process. And of course, you know, there was a lot of shit talking back and forth between me and these 11 girls. <laughs> because that's how it do, that's how it do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this idea that that uh, a law that the threat of a lawsuit has filtered down in our culture to the point that this person and this this car that I was about to bump into was a 1994 Ford uh, like S10 pickup or whatever. It was not a thing. It was not a thing. Like I, I felt like opening my wallet and throwing the money <laughs> that the truck was worth at her and demanding the key. Right. 
Um, but this idea that, you know, it, uh, and she did it like str- it was straight faced, like that, uh, that the threat of a lawsuit has become is the new I'm going to call the police. Yeah, or I'm going to call my mom. And you and you, you you scale that up to a world where lawsuits actually do happen in 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 companies where people actually do sue for discrimination or they do sue for wrongful termination or they do sue for sexual harassment and you apply that the the, the fact that it that the, the the threat is more real but but that we all carry around in the back of our minds the possibility that a lawsuit is a thing that could be that we could be hit with at any moment, and it it it, it creates this inhibiting fear. I think n- nationwide and and maybe even now around the world, an inhibiting fear of just doing what you need what needs to get done, and and being who you are. Uh, and the and the reality about a lawsuit is that fuck you, really, you're gonna you know like. The, the number of lawsuits that it is it is the it is a rare occasion when you can get when you can get an actual lawsuit off the ground and roll one you know what I mean like especially that's without got, spending like fifty thousand dollars you got to have the money you got to have a you you got to have a you got to have a case that makes sense to everybody you have to have a real burr in your saddle you know and and yet. I talk to people all the time where they're like, well, yeah, I'd love to do that, but, you know, we'd probably get sued. It's like, you know what? you got to take the risk sometime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes that, yeah, it is conceivable that you, like, that you might get sued. But, but that is a risk you need to take sometimes. You need to take the risk that you're going to get sued. Well, it reminds me a little bit of the uh, altercation you had uh, with, with the fella at the bar who, who was not aware that punching in the nose was something that really could happen. Exactly right. The kind of person who threatens to say, what did he say to you? This is, uh, there are consequences. Yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, the, it strikes me that, uh, I, you know, I have friends who are lawyers and friends who are not acquaintances. It seems to me that by and large, the people who I never hear threatening to sue someone is a lawyer because they right. understand what it means. Yeah. And it's, it's on the one hand, it's sort of like threatening to go to medical school. It's like, if you hit my car, I'm going to go to medical school. <laughs> like, I'm going to go spend a lot of time and money for something that might work out okay, and I'm going to stop everything. But if you've ever been sued or have actually sued somebody, it seems like about the most draining process in the world. Yeah. So that's the thing. As with people who threaten make-believe violence, as with people who accuse other people of being hypocrites, and as with people who are constantly suing lawsuits, I think they are mainly scared of the thing that they're threatening you with and assume that that will work on you. Yeah, and it so often does. I mean, you know, how many business situations do you know where where everybody in the company knows, like, this one person is the problem? Oh, God, there's, yes. There's one person in this situation who's just a problem. This person needs to go. And yet... Oh, that, sh- that should be, like, point number three. It's you know? John, that is so huge. There's so many people. You go in and you talk to these places. There is one person that is just killing the place. Yeah, this guy needs to go. But we can't get rid of him. Why can't you get rid of him? Well, because he ha- he might sue. He's got diabetes. Yeah, and he or, might sue us. Like, or, yeah, discrimination, you know, discrimination. Or he just might sue. You know, like he or or we just don't have enough. Oh, he doesn't even need a reason. Just the whole idea that we might this guy who obviously is a nut job, and that's why we need to get rid of him. It's his very nut jobbiness 
that makes us think that that he's just the kind of nut job that might sue us. Right, and and we have in our corporate uh, uh, boilerplate all the reasons that you need to to amass in order to properly fire somebody, and so we have to, even though the, you know this is our this is our internal policy, like. We have to follow it to the letter, and we have to spend. I mean, and my mom talks about this thirty years ago. There's like what? There's one guy in, in the in the place that needs to go, but but he but but we ended up paying him for another year mm-hmm. until we could come around to his performance review again, where we had documented his you know because he would always improve right before. It's like trying to catch a dog that's shitting on the rug. It's like you you have to like you you have to spend all of your time like walking on eggshells and yeah. saying, "I hope we finally catch this guy doing the thing that we know we can that is actionable." Yeah, right. And in some cases, you know, you just have to fire the guy, mm. and and you know, he's not going to sue, or if he does, he's going to lose, and. But you're, you're saying, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying road. is like, yes, suing will happen. And if you're at the, the Chode Corporation, they probably have the resources to deal with that kind of thing. You certainly don't want to invite things like nuisance lawsuits, obviously. Right. Uh, but at the same time, you're saying that that leads to a certain kind of, what, cultural apprehensiveness that makes right. us less effective. We, right. we become pussies, certainly. We, you know, what happens in a company uh, or in any organization is you stop believing in yourself. You stop believing that you're doing the Lord's work because, because you see every day how you're being hamstrung by this, you know, by, by someone who is intentionally disruptive and you need to, you need to get the, the, you need to get the cancer out. And as my dad used to say, that's what lawyers are for. I mean, that's why we're, that's why lawyers get the cancer out, get the cancer out. Oh, (laughs) I was, I I had lunch with Ken Jennings, the uh, Jeopardy. I saw that you guys are dressed up like doctors. Yeah. We, we have a good time. We go around and knock on people's doors dressed as doctors. Hey, aren't you? (laughs) Already give them exams. Aren't you that guy from my board meeting? (laughs) But in the as we were doing it, we were we were having a good time, and I I realized we had this brilliant idea, which was a company that hires celebrities to deliver subpoenas. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You get celebrities on the level of Ken Jennings, where a lot of people have seen Ken Jennings; they know who he is. Ken Jennings comes to your office. He goes, "Hey, is you know, is Mark Miller here?" And uh, the secretary's like, "Aren't you Ken Jennings?" And he's like, "That's right, here to see Mark Miller." And she's like, "Let me get him." She's like, "Mark Miller, Ken Jennings is here." And the guy comes running out. He's like, "Oh my God, Ken Jennings!" And Ken Jennings hands him the little blue folder and he's Slap, like, "Slap, you've been served. You're served, ha! Oh. Booyah! Whew. No one's ever going to see that coming. Celebrity process servers, <laughs> huh?" Right? Yeah, I mean, you become part of the problem. That's that's not a bad idea. I mean, that that seems like that could be a short afternoon of work. Uh, and you know, I mean, you, you just go up, you, you do a thing, and you're done. And you could sign some autographs, you yeah, know, while right. you're there. And celebs have a lot of downtime. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, between and, uh, between projects. And I think I think what happens with a lot of celebrities is that they that they start to feel uh, they start to feel like what's their what's their place in the world? What's the point? Like. Are they doing good? Are they part of the? Are they part of the world anymore? Are they just living in their, you know, their solid gold uh, bathtub? I'm, I'm projecting now <laughs> about what it must be like to be a celebrity. But you know, if they were out there in the world meeting people, serving subpoenas, I think it would get, get it would frame their life in a good way. Anyway, 
that seems like the kind of thing that you could probably put together. You know, you know a lot of people who are down on their luck that, yeah. that people would recognize. That's you, right, a lot of recognizable people who are between between projects. <laughs> hey, weren't you in that one band? <laughs> Slap. <laughs> I, you, love, I love. I love presidents of the U.S. Are you the presidents of the U.S.A.? <laughs> Slap! <laughs> you just get, you've been finned. <laughs> hey, didn't you used to host a late night talk show? <laughs> Slap! Are you the guy from that commercial? You've been served. I really think that somewhere out there there is a corporate job because you know my uncle. My uncle. Uh, is that Uncle Jack? No, this isn't Uncle Jack. This is Uncle Cal. Uncle Cal was, uh, he, he started working, he, he was a lawyer, and he started, uh, he grew up here in Washington, and his father was a guy that, um, that would drive around and, like, buy strawberry fields and, <laughs> and put together this empire of kind of, you know, uh, agricultural empire. And my Uncle Cal started working in, the lumber business in the in the fifties and sixties, when when in the Northwest, cutting down trees was still seen as environmental work. You know, when, <laughs> it's I environmental mean, work of a kind. My dad, my You're dad, in an environment. The, the 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 process of turning my dad into an environmentalist was, and this is the thing that people our generation have a hard time grasping, was that my dad's generation believed that that. Uh, to be an environmentalist meant that you went out in the forest, breathing deep of the mountain air, and chopped the fuck down some trees. Mm-hmm. Because that was a that was the hardy kind of outdoorsy man that uh, that made America strong. Uh, the idea of conserving trees or of not chopping down a tree had never occurred to them. Like chopping down a tree was the thing that that a that a true woodsman did. And Uncle Cal started in the lumber business in Washington State, and he ended up being vice president of Weyerhaeuser at a time when the president of Weyerhaeuser was George Weyerhaeuser. And this is, uh, this is during the era when companies did not have a CEO. They had a president, they had one vice president, and then, they, then everyone else. Oh, that seems like halcyon days now. Compared Doesn't to that now seem to make a, sense? You got a president, you got a vice one vice president. President? One vice president, and then you got the directors and stuff, directors, yeah. managers. Now you look at a company; it's like CEO, CEO, CFO, COO, uh, CPO, which chief petty officer, mm-hmm. and then executive vice president, executive vice president, and then seventeen vice presidents. You got executives, you got seniors, you got vice, you got junior. It's like who are these people? Wow. They are you're you are a senior vice president and you have five people working for you. It's like a way to archive humanity. Like what, uh, what are those people doing? So annoying. But anyway, so Uncle yeah. Cal Warehouser, Warehouser. Uncle Cal was vice president of Warehouser and then he became president of Macmillan Blodell, Canada's largest timber company. Hmm. And he was president of Macmillan Blodell for many, many years. And then he entered this world which is the world that I aspire to be a member of and ultimately king of, which is this world of people who used to be generals of the army, mm-hmm. people who are retired senators, the president of Princeton University, former head of the CIA. Professor Emeritus. Professor Emeritus. My Uncle Cal became a guy who was on the board of directors. And 
first he was on the board of directors of Seafirst Bank, and then he was on the board of directors of Bank of America, and then he was on the board of directors of, and the, and it just and it went, it, it became like a spore situation where all of a sudden, what my uncle Cal did was be on the board of directors of a com- of companies, and he was oh, God, on the board be of directors. So you would be so good at that. Of twenty companies, hmm. and and every one of them, you know, I don't know how much uh, uh, the, a person on a board of directors gets paid now, but uh, back in the eighties and nineties, he was getting paid a lot of money. You get paid a lot more than the people who actually work there. Yeah, that's right. And he would describe it. Uh, he he told, and the thing is, he was a Republican and a, and a person who believed in business, and he would tell these stories, and he would not realize how ironic they were. Uh, because he, because it, he was living in a world where this seemed perfectly legitimate, but he would get he would wake up in the morning, he would drive down to the airport, he would get on a Learjet, where he was the only passenger, and he would fly to California, where they would, and then and, there, and a car would pick him up at the airport and take him to this board meeting, where they would spend an hour and a half debating whether or not to raise the minimum wage at their company from four twenty five an hour to four forty an hour. And they would decide that they couldn't afford it, and that if they raised the minimum wage from four twenty-five to four forty, it would jeopardize the company's bottom line. Mm-hmm. And so they would vote it down. And then an hour later, he would be driven back to the airport to a Learjet where he was the only passenger and flown home uh-huh. so that he could have dinner at, at at home. And the irony never occurred to him. And when <laughs> And when I pointed it out, <laughs> that, 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 uh, just to make it obvious, because I just realized that, that, that perhaps, for example, if he'd taken a train or a personal <laughs> car instead of a one-man Learjet, they might be able to bump it up 10 or 15 cents. Well, that, the, that basically the cost of that uh, wage increase was born completely mm-hmm. uh, by, it, by the decision w- to not w- Yeah, do it was it. contained in the in the aviation gasoline costs of all the Learjets of the board members that came to that meeting. Like, they... they it's, like, it's like a Preston Sturgis movie. Like, I, the, 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 it's amazing that that would not occur to him. They squandered that, that pay raise and a thousand more like it in the, in the, just in the, in the nuts and bolts process of, of, of doing business that way. American business. And the fact is that that is a board meeting that they could have had over speakerphone. That is a board meeting... That they could have had via registered letter, like it, there was no reason that those people all had to be in the room together to to debate and make that decision because basically they had all made up their minds before they arrived. Yeah, it seems like a foregone conclusion. And you know, and to have a Learjet standing by to take somebody or to fly—I mean, that Learjet had probably either was standing by or f- had to fly up to get him. You know, and and Avgas is not a cheap thing. Anyway, when I pointed it out to him. His reaction was the same as when I, uh, as every time, basically, I pointed anything out to him, which was just like, well, that's how business is done. And you don't, like, you don't, you, you don't understand that it is necessary. Um, and, and it, and, oh, that's and, such, that's such a typical reaction. And basically it all, it all works out in the wash because, you know, because that, that, because that gasoline and that fight was tax deductible. So ultimately we don't pay for it. Because it's free, because we because we deducted from our taxes, and that's free, because of course taxes are terrible. And 
you know, and, and as a as a twenty three year old idealist sitting in his admittedly palatial living room, which I enjoyed being in very much, and enjoyed the fact that there was usually someone in in a white shirt handing me some food on a tray. I I, I was you know I was loath to look too. Oh gosh, you're, you're inside the machine. But 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 it you know it it resonated in my head and has my whole life that the that that is where the, the the pay raise goes it goes right up the smokestack of the cost of doing business oh my god can you imagine how many companies could benefit from really 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 hearing that right now mm. you know i'm not you know, the, maybe part of the problem also is, so you're telling me he's on like the, not the board of advisors, but like the, uh, the board of directors. Board of directors, yeah. Board of directors. And so he's not the only one that flew in for that meeting. No, there were f- between f- 15 and that's That's a lot of phony baloney jobs, to quote Mel Brooks. Here, here's the thing. What if, let's just say for the sake of argument, what if instead there is a company in the Pacific Northwest that is tired of spending all of that money to bring 15 people in for a foregone conclusion, what if instead you can hire one man who will literally, literally walk to the office in a bathrobe to and come make in? that call. I'm going to, I'm going to come, you know what, you, we can video conference. Yeah. I'm going to walk in, I'm, I'm going to lay the scimitar down, I'm going to open the briefcase. Yes. I'm going to say, here's the call. See, I, this is the thing though, and this is why I say you might, to start out, you might want to restrict yourself to things that you could walk to because, or, you know, or at least take a hoopty to, because yes, first of all, you're, you're, you're immediately a profit center rather than a cost center. And that, that's exactly the kind of, you know, uh, logic you're going to have to bring to these people, you know, yeah. m- maybe in a way that, that is not going to be comfortable at first. I think doing it over a conference call might make you look a little weird. You know, but if you what come if, in, if you're in if, the room, if you're in the room with them with the scimitar, I think people are going to sit up in their seat a little bit. What if I? What if it was a 3D projection of me, though? <laughs> that you had some college monkeys build for you. I'm saying, I'm saying, what if an actor or Ken Jennings walks <laughs> walks in to a boardroom, sets down a small, like <laughs> yeah. the size of a box of crackers, a small Every, device. Everybody looks up, and he said, "Yeah, he sets down a little black box." <laughs> Uh, size of a box of crackers, and he says, "Lights, please." <laughs> and then, wow, wow, shing! I appear in a robe with a scimitar, Sli- slightly larger than life size. <laughs> so slightly larger than life size. Yeah, uh, you're looking at a one, a one to one point two scale. And uh, and and uh, you know, I walk around the room and I start I start looking everybody in the eyes. So eye, wait but- a minute, it's not just something they're projecting like Princess Leia. You're you're moving around the room, moving around the room. And I'm looking everybody in the eyes, but they can't quite look into my eyes because because <laughs> your eyes aren't there. Because my eyes are black, just black orbs. <laughs> so they get the, the 3D stuff could also enhance. Not only yeah. do you get to have the convenience of working from your home or new office, but but there are enhancements to the 3D. Yeah, I look like Wes Borland from <laughs> I have I have totally black eyeballs, and it amplifies the message, <laughs> and it amplifies my voice so that it's coming out of. There are speakers in the bottom of everyone's Maybe seat. Maybe he drops it half like, a register. <laughs> Listen, raise the minimum wage 20 cents. Shing! Meeting, meeting over. And then Ken Jennings Ken just puts Jennings the black the cracker box, box out of the room. Puts it, puts it back in his briefcase. Thank you, gentlemen. You've been served. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to help a lot. Here's the thing. Okay, so this might be this might bring you right back to to fixing this whole whole what is your work where, where is your office situation because th- there may be a problem inside of the problem. 
I've been telling you for a long time. I, I think you should keep doing the music stuff. You know, if you enjoy it and it makes you some money, that's terrific. But, but I like to think that these conversations can hopefully help you realize what you're capable of. And what I'm saying here is not only would you, you might want to go get an office or a transitional office, a transitional bathroom to get you moving in the right direction. But here's the thing. Yes, maybe just to get some practice and get a few hearts under your belt, you might want to help your friend who sounds like, you know, let's be honest, she could, she, you two together could be a super team inside of that company, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Especially if you're in there, maybe you're hiding under her desk, feeding her lines. But at mm-hmm. first, that's gonna, you're going to learn more about that corporate culture because now you have new black eyes to bring into there and see that happening. So maybe the real end game here is not for you to go in and help a company, but to start a company that whether they like it or not helps other companies. Uh-huh. So I'm just saying, and now Ken Jennings sounds like he's got time to kill. So he made a lot of dough off that Jeopardy. Is that right? Well, but did, it's one of those things where you get a, you, you make a lot of dough at something. He didn't make like a quit your game show job kind of dough. Uh, no, he's he, what he made was now he made the dough that enables him now to write books for a living. What kind of books? Which, what kind of books? Do you write like crossword puzzle books or like what oh, does he do? He, well, so he wrote a book about, uh, about crazy people who, uh, who are really into quiz shows. Uh, oh, you know, I like, like the twist. So it wasn't trivi- just trivia. a book about being the guy who was on Jeopardy. He 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 took and he turned it. No, it was like look at look at it was like that book about Scrabble people, except about quiz show people. Wow! And now his most recent book is about maps and geography, mm. which is, as you may recall, mm-hmm. one of my that is one of my secret. That is that is that is a maybe even a wall inside your wheelhouse. It really is. It's like uh, it's, a shelf. It's, it's like a, it's like the opposite of a safe word. He started talking about uh, writing this book about maps, and and I was like, danger, danger, danger. M- might might start talking for hours about maps. But he's probably got enough time. Okay, I've just seen photos of him. I remember seeing him on television. But I saw that photo you put up whatever uh, a day or two ago, and uh, he looks. First of all, you do kind of recognize him from something. Right. He's got a name that uh, is, let's be honest, a little bit forgettable, but right. he looks really, really friendly. He, he is an enormously uh, he's he is he is what you would call a gentleman. He's like a classic. Could he be like your conciliary? Could he be? Could he be your Tom Hagen? Well, this is the thing. I, Ken and I are just getting to know each other, mm-hmm. and I see. Go, you want to go slow? That map thing might make you right. sweat a little bit. I <laughs> see. I see in him the the possibility. He's very friendly uh, to the point of. Not not friendly is the wrong word. He's very nice to the point of a, a little bit a, a little bit on the Mayberry side. But I God, see you could you could really use that. Yeah, right. And I see him personally. Him. Personally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, howdy, howdy, Opie. Well, say I'm going to get my daily. Today? I'm going to go over here and get my daily haircut from the stuttering man. Uh, uh, well, you know, I, as I was having my fingernails waxed. Um, <laughs> he surrounded but, himself with friendly but incompetent people, and he turned out great. He did. Well, it was, you know, he had the advantage of living in the South, which I do not have. That's true. But, Ken, I see in him that, that, that this is the thing. I'm always looking at people and seeing the darkness in them mm. because that's, what I'm, that's primarily what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And I see in Ken the potential <laughs> that he could be a consigliere, but that's the thing. Tom Hayden was not a, not wartime, a wartime consigliere. consigliere. Yeah. And... Do, you know, I don't know if Ken is or not. I don't know if he is prepared. I don't know if he wants that much blood on his smock. 
But yeah, but there's the thing is there's no Jennings in team. The whole point of this is you're going to be surrounded by people who are going to either amplify or 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 squelch or ameliorate the various parts of your black-eyed personality. True. True. Right? You're going to need I think. I mean, certainly, let's look at it this way. Uh, you know, the people who are in operations, the people who are in accounts receivable and payable, the people who are throwing a fucking ball while they're making 3D machines, like they don't all have the same job. They certainly don't all have the same personality. Right. right? The, right. The, the person who works in the, uh, what do they call it? The, uh, the K, the KP, the PX, the person who works at the, uh, at the KP. Are you at, where do you work at the KP? I work over at the KP. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not something I'm happy about, but you, you, that's different yeah, yeah. from the no, general. Right. And, and the thing is, he, Ken is going to make, Ken is, Ken is an, an, an extra, I think he would be an extraordinary general. He would, uh, but you know, but he may want to, well, tell you what, he and I will talk about this. Okay. As the, as the, as the work progresses. And at first, I might just uh, just ask him as a favor to uh, ser- serve some people with some papers, and also maybe show up at a couple of board meetings. Oh, so do a little bit of uh, do a little spec work that you yeah, both enjoy. Just a little spec work. Just see how it goes. Just see how see, it goes. See how he likes it. See how it right. went, went over. And it's like, was you're that not, you're fun not getting for married? You? You're not getting married. You're just yeah. checking it out. That was fun for me. It was. It's fun for you. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's let's do it again. Mm-hmm. And then you know, like 15 years from now. Ken Jennings walks into a boardroom. Everybody hits the dirt. <laughs> everybody's everybody's crawling under the table. <laughs> not me, not me. He's got the box. Not me, not me. <laughs> and then and Ken doesn't even have to have the box anymore. He just walks no. in. Then, it's then a transitional soon, box. Then pretty soon, you got Rob Delaney walking in to a boardroom, puts a box on the table, and Ken Jennings in 3D shows. <laughs> <laughs> Carrying a briefcase. <laughs>